So if you want to turn to the book of John in the New Testament, we're going to look at uh, some words Jesus shared with to his disciples. And um, we're in this series called Church. And um, we've been, you know, we've been looking at, at, at really the, what the church should truly be. The core of the church, God's expectations of the church. The first week we launched off, we talked about, uh, you know, the first week that we really got into it, we talked about things that are sacred. Things, you know, and all of us are sacred. Those of us that have a relationship with Christ, we're, we're a living stone. Um, we are being built into this, into this holy temple. Um, that's who we are. And, and, and um, so, so we talked about that the first week. Last week, uh, we continued on our journey. We talked about the four things that the early church did. Uh, we talked about these four things. And, and we kind of worded it a little bit differently. But essentially, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. Uh, they, did, they did communion. They broke bread. They did communion. Uh, they prayed and they fellowshiped. Those are the four things that they did. And they were very, very excited about it. And God added to their number. That's, that's what they did as a church. They didn't have slick programs. They didn't have all the technology. They didn't have all this stuff that we think has to be there. And we talked about the caveat of some of that. Not that it's wrong, but we talked about the caveat of some of it. Because if we get to the point where we try to entertain people, or we try to do certain ploys and strategies to attract people, you've got to continue to build upon that, continue to go better and better and better, or you begin to lose your audience, right? Well, as you can hopefully logically see, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to bring God His glory. We're here to share who, you know, who God is. And, and essentially, those four things is what the church did. And consequently, God added to their number. Um, you know, uh, so, so those, th- those are the two things we've talked about so far uh, when it comes to the church, just taking a deeper look um, at, the, at the interior of, of church. Today I want to share with you another message about love and, and unity. And so in John chapter, um, John chapter 13, we read these words of Christ uh, in verses uh, 34 and 35. He says this, as soon as I find where I'm at, okay, he says this, I give you a new command, love one another, just as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus, this is coming right out of Jesus washing their feet, Judas betrays them, um, Jesus, they, 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 they share in communion, they break bread, they do all these things. But at the very end, Jesus says, I have a new commandment for you. Okay? Now, this commandment, when you, read, when you look at it, you're saying, well, that's not really much different than the commands you know, back in the Old Testament, love, your, you know, love God, love others, right? Just to kind of paraphrase it. Uh, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbor uh, as such, as yourself. It's really not that much different, is it? But Jesus is saying, I've got a new command for you. And what he's saying is this. It's not, he's saying it's not a command back, you know, it's not a command that the law gives you. Because the Jews would say, well, this is what the law says you have to do. And the Jews were all wrapped up, or the church, whatever, Pharisees, whatever you want to call them, they were all wrapped up in the letter of the law. This is what you do. do. And so they had themselves a classic religion. Religion says... This is how you get to God. 
Okay? Religion says, do these things and you will get to God. Well, as you can see, religion can be way off, right? It's not stuff that you necessarily do, per se, that gets you, to, it's not anything that you do to get you to God. It's God comes to you and you receive his free gift of grace and, and salvation and mercy. And Jesus is saying, I've got a new commandment for you. I want you to love one another, not based upon the law, but what? Based upon how I loved you. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't think he stood up and said, I don't care about the law. But what he was saying is this. I want you to love one another. And I want you to do it, not because you have to, not because this gets you closer to God. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Now, that's a pretty big drink of water. To love others like Jesus loves us. We do not get that at all. Oh, we'll argue about that. Oh, absolutely we'll argue about that. I'm sure we could sit down and we could argue and we could debate on ways that we say that we love and, you know, all these other things. But when it comes down to it, that is a tall order. To love others as Jesus loves us. As we get into this, I want to share with you, I'm going to come from a different perspective here and kind of come in the side. I want you to turn to Mark with me, and I'm going to share, so I'm going to share a couple things and bring us, kind of go backwards and then, and then come back, if that makes sense. If it doesn't, just hang on, because that's what we're doing. So in, Ma- in Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 11, and what we see in verses 9 through 11, we read about the baptism of Jesus, Okay. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 9, it says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, I take delight in you. Those of us that believe in the Trinity use this passage of Scripture along with Genesis and creation, and we would say, we see the Trinity here. By the way, there's not, the word Trinity does not exist in the Bible. It's not there. When someone tests you on it, when a Jehovah Witness or someone else tests you on the Trinity and says, well, we don't believe in the Trinity, we believe this way, and you say, well, I believe in the Trinity, and they say, well, show me in the Bible where that's at. You're not going to flip to a passage that says, God says there is a Trinity, right? That's not there. But what is there is when we read it, we see snippets, we see snapshots of these three distinct persons making up the Godhead exist. Right here is one of them. We have Jesus in the water. We have the Father that is speaking and the heavens are opening up. And a dove comes down um, and and, uh, the Spirit descending to him like a dove comes down. Right there is where we would say those are the three distinct uh, persons of the Godhead. Back in Genesis, we would read the same thing in the creation process. We read that God is the word, or God spoke, uh, Jesus brought, or Jesus brought things into existence. We read about, you know, God. God says, "Let us create man in our own likeness." And so we have this doctrine of the Trinity. Is what we have now in this doctrine of the Trinity. And Mark, Mark is really Mark is. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I don't think it's just some event that Mark is saying. I don't think he's just saying, "Hey, guys, check out this." Jesus got baptized. There's a, I think there's a little bit more to it, and, and, and from some of my study, um, 
uh, it, it, it definitely uh, points to uh, Mark having a deeper message. So what Mark is trying to convey here, and, and what we need to understand, is that God is one God that exists in three persons. Now, the Trinity is one concept. It's like a dichotomy uh, that is very, or a paradox maybe, that is very hard to understand. You have three persons that make up one. Now, this is where it gets really tricky because it's not tritheism. It's not three gods working in harmony. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. It's not unipersonalism. This idea that God manifests himself or takes form into this person one, you know, for a particular point of time. And then over here, he'll, he'll manifest himself into, you know, into Jesus or into the Holy Spirit or into the Father. And he kind of jockeys around this unipersonalism. Um, you know, uh, God who takes one form uh, sometimes and another form another time, if that makes sense. But instead, it's called, we believe in Trinitarianism. <laughs> Here we go. The Trinityism. How's that? Trinitarianism. Yeah, okay. And what that means is this there is one God in three distinct persons that know and love one another. This is very key. It's, it's, we believe that there is, there is one God who in three distinct persons know, know and love one another. God's not fundamentally one, one, uh, more one person than the other, and he's not fundamentally three more than he is one. Now, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but what I'm trying to point out here is this. You have a trinity that exists, and we're going to look at this, that exists for one another. Okay? In John 17, verses 4 and 5, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I have glorified you. Who? I've glorified you who? The Father. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me. Glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, why are we talking about this? What does this have to do with love? What does this have to do with unity? We're going back and we're talking about the Trinity. What does that mean? What does that have to do with anything? Well, first of all, it means this. Each person of the Trinity exists to glorify the other. Okay? That's the Trinity. The Trinity exists, and in its existence, it shows us this dynamic relationship, not static, but this dynamic relationship that the Trinity has with itself. Okay? Hopefully I haven't lost you yet. So we have this trinity, this, this three entity, this, this God being in three persons, not fundamentally one more than the other, but there are three distinct persons in one, and they exist, or in the, in the, in the, uh, in the process, they, they glorify one another. They, they, they glorify each other in, in this dynamic relationship. Cornelius Plantinga way back, made this statement, and I, I, I'm just going to read it verbatim here on the screen. I want you to just kind of lean into this. He says this, The persons within God exalt each other, they commune with each other, and defer to one another. He goes on to say, Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others, God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for others. We're talking about the Trinity. 
We're talking about this incredible uh, concept or paradox, whatever you have, this, this, this thought of God being three and existing in existing for the sake of the others. Now, what does this mean? Well, it means they glorify one another. And what does it mean to glorify? Glorify means that it's this unconditional ability to serve others, not because of what's going to happen in return, but because of our love and appreciation for who they truly are. Okay, that's what it means to glorify. When we say we're coming in and we're going to lift Christ up, we're going to lift Jesus up, we're going to bring him glory. It means that we're coming in and we're coming in with a posture that says we are here to unconditionally serve you regardless of the return because of this deep, profound appreciation and love that we have for you. That's what it means to glorify. It doesn't mean we're coming in and we're going to give you glory because we're hoping you'll answer a couple of prayers over here. We're not coming in, we're giving him glory because we don't want to go to hell. We're coming in, and not just here, but I'm talking about our worship service in church. We're coming together as a family to lift Jesus up to say, we absolutely adore you and love you. We unconditionally serve you. We've made that commitment. We've considered the cost. We understand that it's not about my needs, but it's about just lifting you up. There's a huge difference. I'll tell you, one of the things, and let me just be honest, let me just share a little bit of soapbox very quickly with you. There's one thing, and I've grown up in the church, there's one thing that I I kind of grip my teeth, and I, I get that it can mean something else. But I've heard it so many times in the negative. People will say this, well, I'm just not getting fed there. I'm just not getting fed. I'm just not getting whatever. I'm not, you know, however it is. I'm not getting. And the problem with that is, and and again, I'm talking about, it it becomes more of this self-serving statement that says, I. Here I, here I am, tend to me. That's not what it's about. What it's about is lifting God up and giving Him glory. And guys, let's be honest, man. When we're giving God glory and we're like, you know, it doesn't matter what we get in return. We are bringing Him glory because we know who He is and the love that He has given us. And we are so deeply, profoundly in love with Him. Guys, when we worship Him that way, you're going to get blessed. You're going to get fed because all this is going to spill over and bless you. But when we come into a place of worship, or our hearts come into a place of worship, and it's about us, you're never going to be happy. And you're doing it wrong. And that's not what the church is about. In fact, I think that's what it's become. And I'm not so sure God's happy with that, because we've allowed things like that to have taken place within the church. So we glorify God. God is profound. Now listen to this. God is profoundly happy. Because intensely and profoundly happy because of this love that he receives in this this glorification where, where each of the Godhead glorifies one another. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we look at this and we say, you know, the big question would be this. Why does all this matter? When you talk about unity, when you talk about love, why are we talking about the Trinity? Why are we talking about all these things? Because this is how we're supposed to function. This is how we're supposed to function. God created us in His image. God created us to, to, 
to serve and to love one another. That's who God is. How have we gotten off the fact that we don't really understand who God is, but yet we say, well, this is who we are. We're supposed to be how God is. God has filled us with His love. God has penetrated our hearts. God is changing us. God is growing us and moving us on this spiritual journey. God's desire is that we experience love and unity the way He experiences love and unity. It's His essence. That's what Jesus was saying. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And it opposes this thought that we ourselves are the most important piece in this whole thing. The point is this. Self-centeredness becomes static. It's not dynamic. When we make things about us, it, it, we become static. It's not dynamic. When it's, when it's about us, it, there's nothing dynamic about it whatsoever. It's, it's, it's absolutely static. And we, there's this sense of desiring to be at the center in which every, everybody else kind of orbits around us. I remember growing up, I shared this with you. Um, I remember growing up, my dad used to throw, you know, every dad, every mom has these statements they throw out, right? I remember growing up, my dad telling me, son, the world doesn't revolve around you. That was his statement, right? As coming up as a child, as we all can be, Hopefully we grow out of that uh, spiritually, but we're very self-centered. It's about me. It's about my needs. It's about my desires, my passions, my wants. How can it not be? But living in that in a spiritual state is very static. It's not dynamic whatsoever. It's about me. And as long as things are smooth and in harmony around me, then everything's, everything's, happy. everything's in harmony, right? Well, at least that's what we think, right? It's like, you know, so... Um, we have these, you know, relationships with our friends and our family. We say, I can serve them. You know, um, I can help meet their needs and really care for them. However, however, once my needs aren't being met, watch out, there's going to be a holy war. Okay? That's not what God was talking That's not what Jesus is talking about. The Trinity's essence is this, this mutually self-giving love. It's not one person in the Trinity demands the others to revolve around them. Uh, instead, there is this voluntary love that demonstrates itself by literally orbit, orbiting around each other. And it's very well, you know, it's, 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 this, it's, this, it's this love that is demonstrated within the Trinity that Jesus is saying, that's how I want you to love. I've loved you this way, that's how I want you to love. There's a, um, there's a couple of very well, uh, it's a married, their names are Gottman and Gottman, they're uh, very well respected um, esteemed, highly esteemed psychiatrists. And I find it very interesting that some of these people are not Christians. They don't profess Christianity whatsoever. But somehow they always stumble upon these truths that, I'm, you know, that are absolutely grounded in the Bible. But they don't really know it. It's truth, okay? And one of the things that they say is this, and I absolutely love it, is they make this difference between uh, trust and trustworthiness, Okay? Uh, and these two, de they deal, it's a husband and wife, and they, they're very well respected. Uh, they deal with marriage counseling and things like that. They have the ability, and this is very interesting to me, which gives them, I guess, a lot of credibility in a sense. They, with their theory, they can sit down with a couple, and they can pretty much predict whether that couple is going to end up in a divorce or not. They can predict somewhere between, it's like 95% accurate whether this couple is going to stay together now when you read their theory you're like that's completely out of the bible you know what they got the four they got the four horsemen right 
Uh, one of the four, a couple of them are, is um, contempt. If you have contempt in your marriage, it's not going to last. Uh, that's not a shocker, is it? And oh, by the way, I think we can probably find that through Jesus' teaching. <laughs> hey, don't have bitterness. Don't judge. Yeah, that's, that's not. But anyhow, let me get back to trust. I really like the way they talk about trust because this is what he says. Trust is knowing that the other person is going to follow through, right? That's trust. That's how you define, that's how they would define trust. Trust is knowing you have confidence that that other person is going to follow through. You know what trustworthiness is? You know how they describe trustworthiness or define that? Trustworthiness is when they look at a relationship and they say this. The couple is more interested for the sake of the relationship than they are their own needs. That's trustworthiness. Now you tell me which one's going to help a marriage stay intact. When you have two people that are coming together and they're saying, you know what? It's about our marriage relationships. The commitment we made to this marriage, we are going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. We are going to, we're going to ensure that this takes place. And it's not about all my needs. I will sacrifice some of my needs or some of my wants for the sake of the relationship. Gottman and Gottman would say, if that is in your relationship, you have a high chance of staying together as a married couple. Let me tell you something, and let me ask you this question. How many marriages end up in a divorce because there's no trustworthiness there? There may be trust, but, they, but two people coming together. I've counted on how many people, when they come together, it's my wants, my desires. You need to make sure that they understand that so that they can do it, and then everything will be great, right? And then the other person's saying the same thing. And then I sit there and look at them like, yeah, this isn't going to work, I mean, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you have two people that, that are so stuck up on themselves? They're so self-centered. They're so static. They're not dynamic. They kind of don't even really care about the relationship in a sense. It's about their wants, desires, and needs. I can't tell you how many times I have left from counseling and going home to my wife and saying, hey, if I treat you this way, I am sorry. I've never had something grab my attention more than to sit with couples that are just going at it and they really don't care about the relationship. They care about themselves. And I don't know how you break through that unless it's through Jesus. The Trinity says it's not about yourself. The Trinity says it's about the other person. It's about the sake of the relationship and it's about a give and take and it's about looking at the, at the relationship as a whole versus what you really get out of it. It's about pouring in to someone else and with that dynamic power that are being dynamic. So really, the ultimate reality is about love relationships. When you read the scriptures, that's, it's about relationships. I don't know how you describe uh, when someone asks you, you know, what are your beliefs? You say, well, I'm a Christian, you know, you know and you kind of get on that path and, and they, you know, they, they kind of go down the religion path or whatever. And I always stop and say, it, for me, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I'm not trying to split hairs or anything, but religion's not going to get me deeper with God. Jesus is going to draw me deeper into himself and conform me more into his image. So the ultimate reality about everything is really these love relationships. Without beginning or end, ultimate reality is about this community of persons and people that know and they love each other deeply. 
So let me ask you this question. If that's the way it is, if that's the way the Trinity is, and that's who God is, that's the essence of God, then the question becomes, so why did God even create this world? Why would he create this world? Why would he create you and me? Why would he create a world knowing that it was going to be broken with sin at some point in time, and it was going to cost him uh, a, a, a significant sacrifice to make it right again? And some of us would say, well, God wanted to have someone to love him back and worship him. He already had that. He already had that profoundly deeper and more intensely before he ever created us. He had that within his own creation, you know, like the, the, the angels and things in heaven, but he also had that within the Trinity. So the question becomes again, why did he create us? And according to Tim Keller, which I really agree with, it's that God must have created us not to get joy, but to give it. God's a giver. God's a giver of love. God is a giver of, of, he is a lover of wanting you and I to experience his kingdom. God is a God that says, yeah, I created you, but I created you so that you could experience what I have. That's why we were created. I want to have this dynamic relationship with you that you are going to be drawn in. If you're humble, if you if you allow yourself to be drawn in and to, 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 you know, to become more like me through my son Jesus, you're going to become more like me and you're, I'm going to invite you in deeper and deeper and deeper into the interiors of, 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 this, of my kingdom. Of my kingdom. Creating an object that would be the recipient of his love. Jesus comes and says this now. Now we, let's bring it all back to where we're at. Jesus comes and says this. The love that I have, the love that I've experienced, the love that I've encountered, the love that, that I know what true love really is, the love that I've demonstrated to you, that's the love that I want you to have for other people. Not about whether your needs are getting met or not, but about your love for me is the love that you are splashing onto other people. The unity. Guys, when we talk about church, now this is where Jesus takes it one more step, okay? When we talk about this, when we talk about, um, you know, Jesus saying, you know, love as I have loved you, and, and, and that's how others are going to know that you are the real deal. Guys, that's what church is right there. That is the essence of what church is. We attend Element, this local community of believers that we call Element. We're a family, we're a community, we're a, we're a small we're a small part of the bigger church, right? We are part of the bigger church, the worldwide church, whatever you want, God's, God's kingdom. We are part of that. God is saying within our church, within element, there should be this profound sense of unity and love. That's tough stuff. That when someone comes in, when someone rubs shoulders, that when someone would walk in, what they would see from element is not just a friendly church. Oh, they've got great donuts in the cafe. They've got an excellent, excellent pastor speaker, right? I, I absolutely love him, right? They've got all, I mean, they've got all these things. But what people are looking for and what God, what Jesus is saying, all people, will, they will know that you're mine because they will witness this deep sense of love and unity. 
That's tough. That's tough, isn't it? That's tough loving someone like that. That's tough getting to know someone like that and loving someone like that. That is absolutely tough stuff. But Jesus is saying, it can happen through me. That's what will draw people. People will experience that. Here's the problem, and I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a guilt trip or by any means, but, but you hear people all, you hear people a lot when they walk into a church and they leave or whatever, and some of their comments, they're, it's not positive. It's not positive. They're not seeing this deep sense of unity and love that Jesus talked about. What they may experience is something completely different. Sometimes you hear those words of being, you know, judgmental hypocrites and all that stuff. You know, I, I, I get that. I get that we're humans too. But the essence of our church, even element, the essence of our church should be this deep, profound sense of unity and love. And guys, the word tolerant shouldn't even come into our vocabulary. We don't just tolerate people. Why? Tolerate them. That's not what Jesus had in mind. I want you, he didn't say, okay, I want you to just tolerate some of those ones that are, require a lot of extra grace, okay? Just tolerate them. That's not what he said. I want you to deeply love them. Let me go one step further. Throughout scriptures, that was such a critical point. This deep sense of love and unity and, and, and some other things that in the existence of a church, if people were not willing to be a part of that and they, were, and they would tear it down, they would not be welcome. That's how much they, 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 they I mean, that was how, that's how much they truly believe in, they truly believe in this unity and love that says, no, this is who we are. You've heard the word excommunicate, right? And there's various, I think the Amish kind of does this too and some other things. The, 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 what excommunicate means, it's not something where you say, hey, you've got to leave us, man. You can't be near us. What excommunication means is this. That it, it, it's supposed to work that people have tasted and experienced that love and unity. And when they act out of, when they act out of order and they're asked to leave, it's spo- what's supposed to happen is, is when they are on the outside, they realize, man, this is not where I want to be. I don't want to be. I want to be part of my family here. I want to be part of this. I want to be part of that love and that unity. Excommunication was designed to help people to realize where they were and what they were doing and how they were becoming toxic, and they were pushed to the side a little bit to say, hey, get yourself, hopefully get yourself together, right? And then they, and then they come back in and they, and they realize what they have missed. This is the real deal. This is the big stuff of what church is really supposed to be. This deep, profound sense of love and unity. And when that happens, now we have an evangelistic church. Now we have a church that's going to reach people. We like to take it in our own human hands and design strategies and all these other things of how we can, how we can grow the church. And we'll even ask the question, well, is our church growing? Is this happening? Is that happening? And it's like, is that the right question to ask? Are we asking the right questions? Unity is what will grow the church. When we look at the early church, we didn't see a huge efforts in evangelism. What we saw was we saw people that were functioning as a church. We saw people that were uh, committed to one another, that were deeply unified, that loved one another, and God added to their number daily. Second of all, why are we concerned about growing the church? Now, don't hear me wrong. 
Let's be concerned about unity and love. Because that, the growth is going to happen later. It's easy to focus on the things that we can kind of do, right? I can, you know, even though I got this estranged relationships with these people over here that's part of my family, and I, we don't really talk or whatever, because we just, whatever, whatever it is, well, I'll still help out over here in these things, you know, helping grow the church. It's like, no, it's love and unity. It's love and unity. And we get so entrenched in all these strategies, but yet we fail at unity. Again, it's not developed by our expectations being met, but unity is developed by us sacrificing our desires, our wants, our passions for the sake of others and for the love of Jesus. If we, element, can become a church, that it, and I'm not saying we don't have love, but if we can become a church that is united and in love with one another and have these deep relationships to where when something happens, that, that, we, that we do it biblically, we go and we talk to someone, we say, hey man, I'm struggling with this, can we work, the, you know, can we talk about this, can we, can we figure this out? We, we do relationships the way the Bible teaches us to do relationships. We don't just get mad and run, but we, we do relationships the way the Bible teaches, where we connect with people, we ask them, we, talk, we sit down, we talk with them. It's unity and love. And so, this morning... As the worship team comes back and, be, and, and takes it, we're going to spend another uh, few moments in song. I pray that you would just open your hearts and your minds to, to, that, to the drawing spirit of, of Jesus. I ask that you would just consider, you know, are, are we loving? Do you love others like Jesus is saying? You know, love others like I have loved you. Love others like I have loved you. Um, and I pray that you would allow the Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit would just work through that and, and um, allow the Spirit to just connect with yours. But if you would, won't you stand? Let me lead us into one last word of prayer, and then we'll, uh, I want us to engage and give you an opportunity to respond uh, to, the, to the teachings of, uh, of Jesus here this morning. Father, I give you thanks for your word, even though it stretches and challenges, it convicts, it, it really cuts to the core. As we spend time talking about this sense of unity and, and having this sense of unity like the Trinity. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just brush it off. I pray that we wouldn't just say, oh, that's, that doesn't make sense, so we'll just brush it off. I pray instead that we would ponder on it. We would wrestle with it. We would allow your, we would allow your spirit to come and to enable us to be individuals that just love other people. Not for what we're going to get out of the relationship but just loving other people like you've instructed us to love other people. And Father, we understand that's not just something that we do, but it's something that's inside of us because we're allowing you to demonstrate yourself in and through us. And so I pray that you would give us the courage to respond to your message here this morning. And I pray all this in the most powerful name of Jesus.